Alright, welcome to the Strong Side Podcast. My name is Mitchell Black and I'm your host. Today we have a really, really special episode. Today we're going to sit down with three of our Strong Side members who are all nurses, all in the healthcare field, and we're going to be talking all fitness. The purpose of today's episode is to talk about fitness creating a hedge against sickness, meaning what can we do to take care of ourselves so we can go longer and stay healthier and enjoy the prosperity and longevity of our life. I'm really excited about this episode. I hope you are too. I think these three ladies are going to bring a lot of value. And with that, let's get rocking and rolling. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go down the line. I'm gonna introduce you to everybody first, or actually they're gonna introduce themselves. And then from there, we're just gonna have a good old chit chat. It'll be great. So let's first start with uh, Miss Brandy. Lean into my mic. Hi, you guys. Um, my name's Brandy Whitmer. I have been a member of StrongSide since late June, and I've been an emergency room nurse for 11 years now. Um, that's my background, and I currently work at Kaiser Town Park locally here in Kennesaw. That was fantastic. Yeah. And now we have Miss Allison. Hi, um, I'm Allison. I've been part of StrongSide since March. My background is NICU nursing at Northside Atlanta, and I've been doing that for about 10 years. And we have Amanda. My name is Amanda. Um, I've been at StrongSide for, I was at StrongSide 2.0. Maybe so, three years. Maybe like three yeah. years, yeah. Two, two babies. Two babies. Yeah, one yep. and a half or <laughs> So um, I'm currently a nurse in the ICU at Northside Cherokee. Um, I've been a nurse for about five years. Um, before that, I was a personal trainer. I was in the fitness industry for about 10 years. And just for nobody who caught my joke, because a lot of these people might be actually listening to the podcast, she's pregnant. And she had one baby. So that's where the one and a half babies came from. Yes. <laughs> They're going to be like, what's this guy That could about? be like misinterpreted. Yeah. Yeah. Man. So I'm glad that all you guys are on. I think you're super cool. I think we're just going to be able to talk about a bunch of great stuff. Each of you bring a lot of different value. Side note to Amanda being pregnant. Um, I mean, everybody already knows you have type 1 diabetes too. I do. Yes. Um, I've had type 1 diabetes for almost almost two decades now you guys I you should stop describing it that way that sounds <laughs> right like that sounds like forever um i can't believe it but yeah but still yeah feeling good like you said this is my second baby and you and know working out yeah working out no complications no issues so That's a lot cool. to say about that definitely and we'll get into that too cool man so here's here's why i wanted to do this podcast was so don't think of this podcast as like about COVID. It's not really about COVID. But what we are realizing is that there's been a very heightened sense of awareness of people wanting to take care of themselves and people being like, oh, wow, if I'm sick, I have a higher likelihood of getting sick. Um, that's not cool. So what should I do to take care of myself? And the whole world right now is thinking that same thing. They're thinking, how do I not get sick? How do I stay healthier for longer? What should I do? What are the actual data things that matter? So this podcast is not about COVID. It's not about arguing COVID or supporting it or whatever. It's really just about, look, what can we do to provide some insight to help you stay, stay healthier for a longer period of time? That's it. Because as much as this is a global crisis and a pandemic, I really think a lot of it is a healthcare crisis and healthcare not in the sense of like hospitals but with us like taking care of ourselves like this is like us as a human race being like oh my like uh if i'm sick and something happens 
wow, am I exposed to to drastic measure here? So that's that's what we're gonna chit chat about today. All right. Um, Look, we're already in the double digits of viewers. Yeah. So for you guys that are uh, watching this, we live stream this on Facebook, but we also uh, you can you can watch this on YouTube, Instagram. Um, it's it's on Spotify. Share this with all your friends. It's a good time. Still work on that Apple one. I can't get on Apple yet, but maybe maybe we'll be cool enough soon. But anyways, let's. Uh, Brandy wanted to kind of kick this thing off, just talking about prevention, and we're just kind of kind of roll through this thing. So let's get to talking. Yeah, I love to. That's like my favorite thing to talk about, and. It, to note, I said I wish I wrote down what you said a second ago, but Mitchell said if you're sick, it's easier to get sick. And that's a really, really, really good statement. So, you know, working in the emergency room, we see a lot of chronic illness and chronic illness is it's hard to tackle once you have it. So you have to kind of stay ahead of it. And you do that by taking care of your body, by putting in good nutrition, by moving it the way that you're supposed to. And I think for a lot of people, um, exercise is intimidating. You know, they get intimidated by exercise. And it's not, my, my best friend says all the time, exercise looks different for everybody. It's a celebration of being able to move your body and it doesn't have to look the same for everybody, but you have to do it. And I use the analogy all the time. If you have a car and you wanna drive it cross country and you pour sand in the gas tank and loosen up the lug nuts, you're not gonna go very far. And that's what a lot of people are doing right now is they're, they're putting sand in their gas tank and their wheels aren't on and they're expecting their bodies to take them into a, a really heightened um, environment of illness right now. And you can't do that. Um, but you can do little things every day to make sure that in the presence of illness that your body will function properly. So that's why I love prevention so much and just educating people at the bedside as an ER nurse. I'm always asking questions and trying to figure out if people are open to learning about once they leave, what can they do to not end up back here based on what their symptoms are when they come in to be seen and treated. Um, so I love the education piece and I, I love really just kind of talking about prevention because once you're on the other side of, you know, exercise helps your cholesterol levels and your blood flow and your mood and the gut brain connection is huge. So when you move your body and it, it just changes everything about the way that you feel. So it can look like a very slow process or you can feel like you're very behind the eight ball for getting started, but it just takes little tiny steps every day to kind of um, create better habits so that you don't end up on the other side of that door, so to speak. So what what is uh, putting sand in the gas tank and loosening up the lug nuts? What would one need to do? So um, I could give a lot of examples, but nutrition, proper nutrition it's really hard there's a lot of information about there about what's good and what's not good and confused minds don't make good decisions so it's really hard sometimes for people to know where to start so sometimes when i'm just talking to people basically about nutrition it's first of all eat <laughs> don't skip meals don't go all day without eating don't wait till three in the afternoon to put nutrition in your body again it's like hopping in your car when it's on empty and you're on fumes and it's like chugging along and your body does the same thing and then it will start to respond to that with fatigue and migraines or GI issues when you don't have proper nutrition. So first of all, eat. And then second of all, mindfully eat. So, you know, I, you know I, I've taught my kids for years that when we go to the grocery store, we shop around the perimeter of the grocery store oh. and then we fill in the need with, um, with the th other staple items that they may want. But 
fresh fruits and vegetables and it's not difficult it's really not it doesn't have to be difficult it can be simple there's enough resources out there if you seek them but just good quality nutrition and you know foods that sit in that are alive basically the foods that are alive and not in boxes Mm -hmm. or packages or cans and there's room for that I'm a big fan of balance. I love, there are some things I love that I'm not willing to go in life without, but I live very much the 80-20 rule. So mm-hmm. I, I pay a lot of attention to what I put into my body knowing how important it is. That's why I feel good. And then when I wanna have a burger, fries, and a, and a beer, I don't worry about it, I don't fret it because my body's in balance and it functions better when I put proper nutrition in. So that's the gas part of it. Um, I talk to a lot of people sometimes that don't understand that like, String cheese isn't a great snack. Like it's a processed food, and um, what? There's not a string cheese plant. <laughs> I don't understand. You know, or or that it, that a carbohydrate is bad. No, our bodies need carbohydrates, especially if you're exercising. Or that sugar is bad. No, it's the kind of sugar that you put in your body, and making sure that it's natural and not toxic. So there's there's room for education there, but. I just think that like first and foremost, eat, eat mindfully and make good choices most of the time because we're all human and we want to live life and enjoy the things that we enjoy. And then when you do enjoy those things, your body is set up better for success. So it just kind of keeps moving. It's not like every Monday it's start a new thing. You just make a lifestyle out of it. Um, And it takes a while to give up those things. There's sugars, highly addictive. It's really hard to put down. so it takes some, it, it takes a, what do you call it? A mindset change. You have to want to feel better, but it's totally possible to do. And then the lug nuts part is like having a strong body to live in. And that doesn't mean being the leanest person in the gym. And it doesn't mean not having a little body fat on you. And it doesn't mean looking good in your workout clothes. It just means moving your body to its potential. And that's what I love about being here is that there are all shapes and sizes and modifications for anything that you wanna do. So you can't walk in here and say, I can't do that. There's always a, a form in which you're going to make your body stronger, um, which is good for bone health and age better. And you know, I tell my kids all the time, I'm gonna be 90 and on roller skates, so get ready, because I will not age gracefully, I'll fight it <laughs> tooth and nail. So you put those two things together where you're changing what you're putting in the gas tank and then you're securing your body to function better. And in the presence of illness, your body will serve you better when that happens. Well, boom. I actually just uh, read something the other day that um, in your mid-30s is when you start to, because of hormones and just general increase in a sedentary type lifestyle, mm-hmm. you start to lose muscle mass, bone density, and you start to get stiffer. Mid-30s, that's young. Yeah, I hear a lot about that. Um, you know, I'm not there yet, but working on it. Uh, but, I mean, it, that is true, but it's it's like, can we, how long can we preserve that, right? So it's like, okay, you're gonna lose, it's roughly like 2%, but it, it's not It's not a compounded 2%. So it's not It's not like 2% goes to four, it's like 2%, but it's 2% of a smaller number, you know, blah, blah, blah. So like, that's against people that don't work out though. Like, what mm-hmm. if you just did exercise? And it's like, okay, all right, I'm gonna lose 10% or 2%, I mean, but through exercise, I put on 4%, I'm at net zero. Like if I put on six percent, then I'm actually positive too. Like that's it's kind of a big deal, right? You want that like the can you be fifty with a body of a forty year old? Can you be sixty with a body of a fifty year old? Like what can you do preventatively? And you know, my, my birthday was on uh was on Sunday and I went and had a cheeseburger for breakfast because that's 
freaking what I'm going to do on my birthday. But somebody asked me about that, like to what Brandy said. I was like, yeah, dude, but look, I, I'm here all day, every day. I meal prep all my food. So 35 meals a week are done. They are made, they are, or maybe it's 30. 30 or 35 meals are like made, done. Dude, that cheeseburger did nothing. Mm -hmm. One of 35 meals. Like, it's not about a you can't have it, but I definitely control my situation to where I'm not leaving and go getting food or whatever. Like, it's here. Yeah, I found living 80-20, like you said, has been the best. I can't live on a diet. Tried it. Fails every time. But just making it a lifestyle and totally changing it and your mindset, it's the way that worked for me. And it's weird how, like, your brain will operate different than your body in the sense of, Kind of like you were saying, you know, I, I got to don't don't go till three o'clock without eating because I'll see people in the gym all the time and they're like, I'm doing terrible today. And I'm like, all right, well, let's talk about it. And they're like, you know, first off, it's something atrocious. Like I squatted 100 pounds one time. So therefore, I should be able to squat 100 pounds every time I try. And I'm like, well, first, off, it don't work like that. But second off, OK, all right. Let's talk about it. did you sleep last night no not really did you eat today no i actually haven't ate at all did you drink any water i've been living on diet cokes like all day you know like whatever but it might be one of those or all of them but when you break it down your brain is like no i can do this i can show up to the 415 class and dominate and i'm like actually you had a raisin about eight hours ago and you you're doing terrible because of the raisin yeah. so what uh when you talk about preventativeness um i mean like what what do you think is the easiest thing? Like if you had to pick one thing, you can only pick one, but what, what, would, what would be one thing to, fo we'll come back to it, but what would be one thing to focus on for preventative wellness? I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Preventative wellness would be staying sick. I mean, like, don't, do not get sick. I think nutrition is um, very, very important and sleep actually is super important. Um, so nutrition, sleep, exercise just moving our bodies are meant to move uh like earlier we were talking about the lymphatic fluid um, when your muscles are contracting you're squeezing that fluid flushing your body literally flushing your body of toxins and bacteria um, and that's how our bodies were meant to function muscle contraction so uh, we were designed to walk miles every day to forage to hunt um so when most people just sit in the car, drive to work, sit all day at work, get back in the car, drive to work, and then sit in front of the TV, and that's not how our bodies were meant to function. So movement is definitely key, and it's huge. And America, I think, is worse at that. Um, like in Europe, they still walk most everywhere, yeah. and, and those people eat and drink good, too. And yeah. they still live yeah. longer than we than anybody else. You look at, like, China, you look Italy. at like like Chinese, like they live off rice, right? Yeah. But what are they doing? They're walking, they're biking, they're squatting, they're moving. Like mm -hmm. it's just like we. So to what you're talking about, that term is called cocooning, and it's where you will like literally not be outside all day. You will wake up, you get your car in the garage, you drive somewhere, you go into work. Like it's like you never see the outside. Mm -hmm. You think you're moving. That's what I talk about that just about every day to our PM classes, and like you guys think you're warm because you're awake. I'm like, yeah, no, you're actually really cold. You've been stiff. You've been sitting. You haven't been doing what your body has been designed to do. A lot of the prevention, I feel like, can, is just the, the, the buildup of neglect. So it's like all I really need to do is just do what my body was designed to do. Yeah, objects in motion stay in motion, and sedentary objects stay still. But once you more, the more you sit still, it's easier to stay home and go home and open a beer on the couch instead of getting workout in as opposed to 
making it a habit and moving your body makes it easier. Yeah. I find two days, if I go two days without being active and moving, and I love to work out and be active, but if I go two days, I wake up and I'm just kind of like, I really yeah. don't want my to. My body gets stiff. So yeah, yeah exactly. So that, that's my rule. I can't go more than two days because then I know it's going to be an uphill battle. And it doesn't have day, to day be. Day three, yeah, you're like, so it's over. Exactly. That's the old me. I used to work out. No more <laughs> than two days because then you start bad habits. Yeah. That's cool. Great. So, but, uh, and then before, um, Allison, you were talking a lot about what, all right, this was, what'd you call it? Pre-morbidity? Comorbidity. Comorbidity. <laughs> yeah. Comorbidity. I was like, that sounds good. It's up. And I'm like, oh, that's all the things that help you die. Like that's how <laughs> I, that's how I broke it down in my yeah. brain. So like, what is that? And what are these, they're basically risk factors. Like what are these risk factors that we see and what are you, and all of you guys can chime in. Like, what are you commonly seeing in people? Um, I'm obviously going to have a different aspect than they are because I'm more in a NICU labor and delivery world. But um, even with that, when moms come in with PIH, which is pregnancy-induced hypertension, or they had the hypertension prior to being pregnant, they have type 2 diabetes prior to that, puts everything at a risk. Um, and same with staying well, all those things. Your body's already fighting an uphill battle, and then you get sick, and it, it just is a, not a good thing. So like, up with words. <laughs> if I get sick, so, so I mean, we'll, we'll definitely segue into this a little bit, but like, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that happens before you get sick and preventative medicine and preventative care is not, am I sick yet? It's, am I going to be sick in 10 years? But okay. So we'll see this a lot with like food allergies. Somebody's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then, you know what? One day I just woke up and I couldn't eat chicken anymore. And you know, it's probably because they were eating like all this hormone-induced chicken and, you know, the one handful of chicken or like one baby chicken is like a handful, right? Like it's like, oh my God. But so there's all these things that had to happen before they get sick. Okay. Fast forward, they come see you. Now they're sick. How much harder is it to get unsick once you're sick? Well, I, I was just going to say the, th the three most common things, and you could probably test this too, that we see in the hospital is high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. Right now, I mean, I'm seeing patients in their 20s that are being put on medication for those three things with no education around how to prevent that from happening ahead of time, which is really, really sad that people don't know that now if it's predisposed and genetic, that's a completely different story. It's a very small population also, but the majority of it is controlled by diet and exercise, but they're very quickly given a medicine pill without any education about how to prevent it. So once you get sick, there's damage that's been done, whether it's coronary artery disease or vessel, you know, disorders in the vessels and blood flow, or with your pancreas, with type two diabetes, you you wear out your pancreas and you can't, you, it, you know, you just, you can't regulate your blood sugars anymore and that's crucial for quality of life. So once you get sick, it's much more difficult to turn back the clock and fix the damage that's already been done. Um, and so staying ahead of it as far as prevention is key. And that's what I try to talk a lot about at the bedside with patients, especially the younger population. Like we were just talking about in the early 80s, I just read the other day that there was no type two juvenile diabetes. It just wasn't a thing. And now we're seeing a massive um, uh, increase, massive increase meaning some, because any kid that has type two diabetes is, that's unnecessary. Um, we have too many accesses, too much access to knowledge to l allow that to happen. But, you know, it just, 
there's like 10 to 13% of the population that is under the age 18 that is now being put on medication for something that's controlled um, with good diet and exercise. So, you know, that along goes with the whole wellness prevention and not waiting until something happens to make a change because then there, you can, you absolutely can. And I believe in cellular regeneration and people getting off meds through a whole different um, slew of other ways, but it is a much more difficult process once the disease is already there. Yeah, so a lot of that information, um, and I can put some links in it when this is up on YouTube and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know who you, article you read, but I would suggest everybody go look up Do Dr. Robert Lustig. Um, he's got a bunch of good stuff out, and, it, and it's called Sugar, the Bitter Truth. And, um, and him and Gary Tobbs, Gary Tobbs wrote uh, What If It's All But a Big Fat Lie, which is a New York Times article. He wrote uh, uh, what, uh, what is it? Uh, good calories, bad calories. If you actually, if you're having trouble sleeping at night, if you go read good calories, bad calories, knock you out. It's extremely boring, but it's really about 650 pages. It's good stuff. But um, yeah, he calls it uh, sugar belly. And mm -hmm. and just so everybody kind of understands what we're talking about with with uh, with diabetes. So what that is is so you have you have sugar inside your bloodstream, right? So you eat something and it would be carbohydrates, it turns to glucose or sugar inside your body, and you're basically looking at levels. And there's levels that you should be at, and the higher that those levels get, once you reach a glucose of, it's either 124 or 126, you can correct me on that, but then you become type two diabetic, is what that means. And typically people will get their blood sugar tested, and they'll say, I should be uh, you know, under 110 or under 100. Well, um, Brandy, I believe, works for Kaiser, but. Kaiser did a really good study several years ago, and they did it with another guy, you guys should go research, uh, Dr. Jim Laval. Uh, I went to a bunch of his clinics and uh, research stuff. He's awesome, but he was able to show that for, with him and Kaiser were able to show that every point that your glucose is over 84, you're 6% more likely to develop type two diabetes in the next nine years. So when we talk about prevention, it, yeah, you might be, oh, my fasting glucose is 110. I'm not sick today. That that is correct. I don't care if you're sick today. I don't want you sick in ten years, right? And we're seeing 60, 80 percent of uh, all type two diabetic cases and sugar consumption cases are coming from sodas. And uh, I mean, you're you're talking hundreds of grams of sugar. I mean, we're told we're told a healthy breakfast is a bowl of cereal, orange juice, a yogurt, and a banana. And and but don't eat fat though, because that will yeah. definitely ruin your life. I saw this a lot uh, when I was a personal trainer and I'd look at people's food logs. Uh, it, was, it was amazing. I would just look at the person like, are, are you training for a marathon? <laughs> like you don't need this many carbs unless you are training like crazy and you really don't. Um, now, if you are, when you do train, um, when you exercise, your ability to use the carbohydrates that you eat is there. Your muscles are, they've got glycogen stores and uh, the bigger the muscle, which you know from exercising, the more glycogen that it can hold. And also the stores in your liver, you can hold much more glycogen in your liver. And glycogen being the usable form of glucose. So when you exercise, your body's actually using the sugar and the carbs that you're eating and storing it as energy. Versus if you don't work out, all those carbs that you're eating, your body's just kind of storing it as fat. <laughs> and insulin is a key player in that. Insulin is an anabolic hormone. So if you're working out, the insulin is making your muscles bigger. If you're not working out, the insulin is making your body fat bigger. So, Which, in segue to that, you guys should all go watch uh, 
Whiteboard Wednesday, episode two, because I talk about pre and post workout nutrition in that. The nuts and bolts of what we're talking about right now is, okay, if I eat carbs or sugar, blood sugar goes up. If blood sugar's too high, I have type two diabetes. Type two diabetes, terrible, lots of bad things happen, extremely difficult to reverse, but we're not saying that carbohydrates are bad. In fact, carbohydrates will fuel your energy and your think power. So you should probably consume them around your largest workout time. Mm -hmm. So hey, I'm gonna have a morning workout, I'm gonna have an afternoon workout. It's not like you have to, but it would be best used and disposed and utilized through insulin if your higher, higher carbohydrate meals were before and after the workout. Now, if you're gonna work out at 7.30 at night and your morning is the breakfast, breakfast I just described, uh, you know, toast and, and Pop-Tarts and muffins and everything we're told is breakfast, and then you don't eat all day and then you try to come work out, it's probably not gonna go very well. Yeah, absolutely, and exercise keeps you sensitive to your insulin, which is a, very, which is a key, that's the key factor there, for sure, because that's what happens with the type two diabetes is you lose that insulin sensitivity. And I see this, uh, because I'm diabetic, I wear a continuous glucose monitor. So I know what my blood sugar is every five minutes. And when, if I go more than two days, it's a two day thing, more than two days, I am way less sensitive to my insulin. I see that like on an hour by hour basis, I need more insulin for the food that I'm eating. My nighttime sugars are way higher. My fasting sugar is higher. So it's, oh God, exercise is so important in my diabetes control. And I, I can see that, but that's true for everybody even if you're not diabetic. Um, it's just that I, I see that as hard numbers, but um, staying sensitive to your insulin throughout your lifespan is what's gonna keep you from developing type two diabetes. And then also kind of as a segue into that, um, we were talking a little bit earlier about epigenetics, and this is kind of an emerging thing um, that's being studied a lot. A lot of people think that their genetics are set and they use it as an excuse. They're just like, well, you know, my, granddad had diabetes and high cholesterol well that might be true but your genetics only really like 80 to 90 percent of them are influenced by lifestyle factors so really only 10 percent are set and that's something kind of like what i have <laughs> type 1 diabetes like autoimmune diseases um, but the the rest of it is influenced by what you're eating how you're moving and what kind of toxins you're exposed to yeah, I mean, I could talk about I could talk about freaking insulin all day. I love it, but I feel like the listeners, like, just so you, just because so I don't know who's listening, or you, you don't want to be transparent. Like, just so we understand what insulin is, the reason that it's so important is because when Amanda's talking about like managing her blood sugar and all that, like, forget about it. You might be listening to this going, "I'm not even diabetic." Great. Well, what do you not want to be? Fat. Okay. So insulin is your fat storing hormone, mm -hmm. and you have to ask some questions. And if you ask the right questions, you'll get the right answers. So if you look at something and you say, well, wait a minute, if I eat 500 calories of chicken and if I eat 500 calories of cake, if it's just about calories, how come one makes me thin and one makes me fat? Well, your higher sugar concentrated foods, your drinks or whatever, are gonna excrete more insulin and that's a pancreatic hormone and it's gonna tell your body to store fat. But, how, but also, how come you don't store any fat on your forehead and you don't store any fat on the top of your feet or the back of your hands, like why is that? Well, insulin stores fat all around the midsection. So when we talk about like risk factors and comorbidities, new word for the day, but you know, and you're looking at waist circumference, you're looking at hard fat, like visceral fat in the belly, you're looking at what would make me a higher likelihood of having X, Y, and Z, the insulin secretion and what you're doing to manage that can have drastic, drastic effects because then it also is a counter-regulatory hormone, meaning that you won't get full 
I don't know when the last time I've ever been full on cake and ice cream is. Like, how come you can eat, you, you, you could not eat two 500 calorie sandwiches, but you could eat a 500 calorie sandwich and you could drink a Coca-Cola that's 500 calories. Both are a thousand calories. Why, it's leptin and ghrelin, which are brain and stomach hormones, blah, blah, blah. But you're not getting a sense of full. So you're gonna overeat, you're gonna store a bunch of fat in your belly, Maybe you go your whole life and you're just not type 2 diabetic, but you don't look and feel the way you want to look and feel. It's a big deal. And a, even just a slight increase, kind of like you said, like even if you're just like 120, like people will sometimes live, they will live with type 2 diabetes for years and never know it. Never know it. And by then, damage has already been done to your kidneys. I, we see so much chronic kidney disease in the ICU, it's insane. Mm -hmm. These people are going on dialysis and they're like 60s and 70s. And so, what did you say, Brandy, was the three things you see every day in the ER? Or the highest risk? High rate? blood pressure, high cholesterol, and type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. Boom. Boom. I was going to say I'm a big fan of keeping it simple. So I, I always explain it as like not all calories are created equal, right? Which is the same reason why uh, what you were just saying, you can have people they focus on the calorie count over their day and not the quality of calories that they're putting in their body so you know if you're on a 1500 calorie diet and 400 of those calories are uh you know a donut a handful of um jelly beans and those you can have quality the quality of the calorie makes a huge difference in in all aspects of wellness so i really try to take the calorie count out of it and just focus on the quality every time you sit down and what you're putting in your body because not all calories are quite created equal. And kind of like you were mentioning earlier too, uh, like a lot of the foods that we consume, they are engineered mm -hmm. to be addictive, mm -hmm. straight mm -hmm. up. Companies are trying to addict you to their food. It's a huge industry. It's a huge money-making industry. Like there are scientists that that is their job is how do I make this food where people cannot stop eating it? So, because it, it is, it's true. Because once you start, it is very difficult to break some of these nutritional habits, and you are a victim mm -hmm. of you know somebody else's profit. So for me, that's like a big part of nutrition is I know that this is engineered to taste really, really good, but it's not good for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, and that's not even like, I don't know, I guess if you really wanted to, you could argue like an opinion on that. That's not <laughs> that far from the truth. I mean, like, so like it all goes back to World War II and pre-World War II, we couldn't get sugar because we're fighting all the countries that have all the sugar. Post-World War II, we take control, we get all the sugar. And dude, I, Mitchell Black didn't like make this up. Like you can go research like all this and we start getting the sugar. And when we start getting the sugar, what happens? We start utilizing so much of it. Not only are we, is it costing us more to get it and manufacture it? It's not sweet enough. So we're not getting like, you know, you eat a candy bar. Like it used to be bubble gum. And it, when World War II happened, it was like bubble gum, sugar, great. And then we started making candy bars. You had to make it like sweeter, right? And then we started building up a tolerance to it. So they had to invent more types of sugar. And that's when like high fructose corn syrup uh, and crystalline fructose and all that stuff started getting invented and it's just changing the molecular structure so instead of being like half fructose and half glucose you're going to uh, high fructose corn syrup is 80 percent fructose 20 percent glucose fructose is a much it's called a sugar sweetener scale it spikes the insulin much higher where glucose is more normalized um, crystalline fructose is like 90 percent so like when brandy was talking earlier about like the types of sugar you flip over like a candy bar you flip over a banana you know i get it there's 30 grams of sugar in a banana please don't eat 12 bananas a day okay but 
you know, you can make that quality argument you guys were just talking about, overeating bananas, tell me how much weight you gain, probably not a lot. But if you look at the types of sugar, you could say, oh man, this banana has 30 grams and uh, this candy bar only has 15. Yeah, but like the sugar in the candy bar is like made of cocaine, dude. Like mm -hmm. it's like, it's made. You're eating something that's like genetically modified and engineered and now you got a finger growing out of your forehead. And the banana <laughs> is how nature designed food. Like it's right. the carbohydrates, but also with fiber, with potassium, you know, with all these minerals and vitamins that help your body actually utilize the food. You know, it recognizes it as food. These other things that we're talking about are, are not actual food. The idea yeah. of food. Yes. yes. Yeah. Because I don't know what part of the chicken is the nugget. I don't know what a toaster strudel is. Sure looks cool. Yeah. Somebody put it in a grocery store. I guess I'm supposed to buy this. I don't know. And then, yeah, like what I was, I used to use the example of, is Kashi cereal still a thing? It was mm -hmm. very, very big. I remember like when it was huge. But people would eat it all the time and people I would be like, I don't know why <laughs> I'm gaining so much weight. And I would go, well, wait a minute. How, how often do you buy Kashi cereal? And they'd be like, every week but when I go to the grocery store. Yeah, and that's I'm what like, I used to, we were kind of lied to in a sense, but that's our whole nutrition system. Everything is yeah. changing. Like that fat's bad for you. Fat is not bad for you. Good fat is good fat, feed your brain. My mom still cannot get through her mind that she should eat fat. Everything needs to be low fat. Talk, talk about that for a second. Fat won't make you fat. <laughs> and go, Allison. Uh, oh, man. Um, basically, good fat feeds your brain. So if you're going to eat a cake full of sugar that then converts to fat, that's bad fat. Versus an avocado has a lot of fat, but that's good for you, and that's what your body needs and keeps you full longer, and you don't want to overindulge. You're not going to be able to eat 12 avocados without feeling really They should disgusting. put that on fear factor. <laughs> yeah. <Cool. laughs> well, I think too, I think, early, sorry, as part of um, wellness, what you said earlier was um, nutrition, exercise, and toxicity. And a lot of the foods that we eat are toxic in nature. And so then um, the conversation went to, you know, this whole mindset around low fat and uh, sugar free. And um, it's, we're really fooling ourselves if we're thinking that low fat and sugar free is a good thing. It's not. Whole foods are a good thing. Good carbohydrates, healthy natural sugars, um, more of that in your diet. Because when you look at a Diet Coke that has no sugar in it, it absolutely is toxic in nature. So just because it is free of calories does not mean it is not harming your body on the inside. Um, so I think that's really key because that was when we were we didn't get a chance to kind of talk about that, but the toxicity and the things that we're exposed to through everything that we that we put on our bodies and that we eat and drink, that sucking the sugar and the natural fats out of the foods that we used to have, you know, 30 years ago to make them low fat and sugar free has made us sicker because of the toxic things that were injected into them to make them taste good because they didn't have all the natural flavors from the fat and the sugars in them. So. Um, I just we missed that point before, but that's that's huge too. Just as from a wellness standpoint, and fat so, actually lowers the insulin production. So like you can mm -hmm. track the invention and sale of whole milk compared. And I'm not blaming milk for obesity, but it, it, there's really <laughs> neat trends where you can see the the introduction of skim milk in in uh, in, in like 1980. So. What happened is in 1982 or 1984, um, they, they looked at GMOs or genetically modified foods and they had to state, state whether that was legal or not. And they did the same thing that they did with cigarettes. They did a substantial equivalency. And basically they said, all right, 
Cigarettes have never been proven to kill anybody, but they've never been proven to help anybody either, so we'll go ahead and make them legal. And they do the same thing with GMOs. So GMOs never been proven to kill anybody, but they've also never been proven healthy either. Um, so we'll just, we'll just roll with it. And every country except the United States mm -hmm. banned them. Um, and, uh, you know, USA. But uh, so <laughs> you see the introduction of skim milk being like, hey, less sugar, stuff like that cut out the fat so we stopped selling whole milk and that's when we went about the 1980s we started going on this like low fat diet because it makes sense on paper if I eat fat I'll gain fat that's the thing I don't want is fat so I'm not gonna eat it right but you see absence in fat and what you think is absence of sugar but you have things like because there's no fat in milk milk is actually one of the highest things that increases insulin levels so you just start pumping that fat storage up so you're eating less and gaining more 94% of people under eat like nobody uh, nobody thinks that McDonald's is gonna make them thin you know what I'm saying like they know it's like one of my favorite statements is that as a uh, we are overfed and undernourished mm -hmm. which is so most people that I talk to that are even just trying to lose a little bit of weight when I ask them what they eat it's barely anything they're going starving all day and then they're <laughs> shoving food in their mouth until they go to bed at night and they're not getting any quality of nutrition at all but they don't understand why they're not losing weight because they're only eating dinner <laughs> and I'm like it doesn't work it just doesn't work that way so hormones, go, go ahead, go ahead. hormones too it's huge huge so it's yeah it's not as black and white unfortunately the body is very very complex and everybody's different but it's definitely not as black and white as most people think and then when they understand why they um, they're not losing weight and they don't look the way that they do but hormones are huge with that and that really ties into nutrition we could spend literally the whole podcast mm -hmm. on yeah. this mm -hmm. but one thing that i want to jump over to and allison you were saying like so much good stuff they were talking before the podcast i was like you guys have to stop this is so much great stuff we gotta pull it in there is okay so we'll kind of recap at the end but basically we've said all right if you're sick it's easier to get sick hashtag new mitchell quote and mm -hmm. uh but okay what are all these things that you know are uh, comorbidities that could make me sick? What do I need to look for? Cholesterol? You know, okay, all right, great. But you guys had some really neat things to say about medication and what happens when I get sick and I take medication and can the medication actually just make me sicker? Is it actually gonna, is it for me? Or just talk, it was so good, just talk. <laughs> so um, definitely, and I think uh, we, we kind of did touch on this like a little bit that um, medication, it, so about how hard, much harder it is to reverse an illness once you have it versus just preventing it. So once you have to go on these medications, um, A, they're very, very expensive. So a lot of people just go off them because they can't afford them and then that has terrible consequences and that's how you end up in the ER and the ICU. Um, so, but I know like a lot of the cholesterol medicines they will make your muscles so tired and just sore. You're just tired all the time. And that's not gonna help you get in the gym and move around, which is gonna help your cholesterol. So a lot of these medications do have side effects that are not, they're gonna kind of impede you from um, trying to help yourself really. And then they'll prescribe another medication from mm -hmm. said side effect, and then the cycle just continues. Because they're just trying to keep you alive. Yeah. Like, they're not really, like, it, like, by the time you get sick, it's like, that's the holy crap. Like, it's not like, I don't think people should look at it and be like, oh, darn, I got sick. It's like, bro, you've been alive 55 years. You traumatized your body for that long. And then it got that, to me, is the red flag. Let's get you unsick not how do we manage this sickness because you're right like it's not 
this isn't a medication to help you like live your life and go for a run. It's okay, look, dude, you're you came in here with a blood pressure of like two hundred over one bajillion, you know, like whatever. I want you to not die. That's the entire point of the conversation. How do I make you not die? And our bodies want to live. Like we want to stay alive. Our bodies can fix themselves, heal themselves by doing the right things. You can be fifty five and then oh no point and then fix it. Yeah. And two, I feel like, uh, so we do, every person that comes into the ICU, we look at their home meds, and I feel like... What are home meds? I like the medicines they take at home. And um, I feel like most of these people are on some sort of antidepressant, uh, and they're on some sort of pain medication. So it's kind of just like this, kind of like we were talking about this cycle where you're just, you hurt all, your body's sick, you hurt all the time, and then you're depressed because you can't, go out and do the things that you want to do because you're in the hospital or you can't get off the couch, you can't get out of the bed. So um, so it, it is a vicious cycle, absolutely. And, and people just get lost. And then, and then you're looking at too, I feel like changes in your brain when you take all these things. Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons I got into emergency medicine is because the idea of acute illness, I liked taking someone that was not well using trauma or acute medicine to make them well and then you've fixed them but it it very quickly like dawned on me working in the emergency room that it is not a lot of acute illness there are some it's there but it's a lot of chronic illness and you know the hard part is people being open to the idea that medicine is not the answer to mm -hmm. all of the issues it is a it's a it's a band-aid and the band-aid comes with more consequences um, if you don't change your lifestyle. So, you know, mm -hmm. chronic illness is huge and one thing leads to another and it's like this cascade effect. And before you know it, you are, I mean, you know, patients, they own their stories, right? They have their stories mm -hmm. of why they're ill and why they're sick. And I feel like we just need to own a different story. We need to own the story of like, how do I take accountability for my own health? Um, there's the information is out there for people to have. They just have to want to seek it to not have to be, you know, on, on medications that in most cases can be not needed if they do the right things. And unfortunately, um, most doctors, they're not trained to look at things like nutrition and exercise. That's, that's, yeah, right. that's, that's their job. not their yeah. job, mm -hmm. it's not. So yeah. if you go to them like, I have this problem, mm -hmm. they're, gonna, they're gonna prescribe you a medicine to fix the problem. Mm -hmm. So, which is great for things that are life-saving, mm -hmm. you know, but as far as when it comes to chronic illnesses, um, it's not obviously it's not the answer the health system is overwhelmed insurance is a giant mess for this country so i mean yeah like let yeah don't you need to come see me when you're healthy and you know ish like when you're healthy ish and you want to start moving and get, do not come see me if you break your leg like i'm not i'm not hating doctors i'm just letting you know i have no idea what to do i did not go to school for that i went to school and studied everything about nutrition and exercise I don't know, I know what glucose is, but it, I don't know what to prescribe you for diabetes. If you don't believe me, I will gladly perform an operation <laughs> on you and we can find out together. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, yeah, everybody, it's not to hate on doctors, whatever. it's like, dude, what are they there for? Mm -hmm. Use them for what they're there for, not to get all the, it doesn't mean they don't know what they're talking about. It's just like, know your role, like, yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely up to you, uh, to the individual person to kind of take control of their of their like of preventing sickness and you know um 
I see this a lot, especially with the, some of the people I work with, just the food that they eat and then they complain about things like chronic pain and not sleeping well. And it's just kind of like, well, you know, how often do you move your body? And like, I saw what you had for lunch today. Yeah. And people don't wanna, they don't wanna take the time to prep food. That is major. Like I see people just go down and eat not so great food from the cafeteria all the time. If you don't have good food choices to choose from when you're hungry, I mean, that's you're not gonna make them. Where are you gonna start? Yeah, it's exactly. like being drunk. Everything sounds good when you're drunk, bro. <laughs> and people, they just they don't get that. Like I, I always tell people that I work with because they're like, oh, you always have the best food. You, did, you know, I spend most of my free time cooking. I really do because it's that important. It is that important for sure. And people just don't make that connection. Like they're just like baffled. Like oh, I have to spend time. Like I have to learn how to cook and properly feed myself. You know, then, it's super important. Yes, you I think do. You have, I think you have two, two ends of the spectrum because I'm on the other end of the spectrum. Like I meal prep, but people like see what I eat and they're like, oh, you meal prep salmon? And I was like. No, actually, I was at Publix and I walked by and they already had the pre-made salmon. That's just what I'm having this week. And I went home and I put it in the oven. Like, I'm going to control what I need to control. Like, I know that I can't be like freaking Uber and Eats nachos and stuff. Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go out to lunch every day. No. But I'm also not going to make, I'm not Martha Stewart. Okay. I do like to cook. So I, I will say that. But um, but there's all kinds of options. If you don't like to cook, there really is. There's so many options. You can order your food now, yeah. like like trifecta, you know, mm -hmm. like all that stuff. Might cost you a little bit more, but mm -hmm. you'll complain a lot less. Yeah. Yes. Or just roast vegetables. That's what I was doing before I got here. I'm like, I chopped up sweet potatoes, roasted those, roasted broccoli. My husband will do the meat tonight. And then we have six meals. Boom. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. What, anything else with medication or no? no we could probably all sit around and talk about all of this for, for, hours. for hours. Yeah. Just the less medication you have to be on, probably the better, for sure. Went for, to school for a long time to figure that out, yeah. didn't For you? your wallet, <laughs> yeah. for your health, yes. So, I mean, all right, so essentially where we're at is, okay, we know that the world right now, yes, is panicking about one thing. But the nuts and bolts, because this whole conversation is boiled down to, you know, like, what's the root cause, right? And if you're sick, it's easier to get sick. That's what we're all panicking about. I don't want to get sick. How do I prevent this? How do I, you know, we're seeing more and more research come out about your immune system and actually what can happen if you increase your immune system. There's so much information coming out about how the gym is the most least likely place to contract the virus. It's, it's actually what keeps you healthy, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So it's like we know that. Okay, well, people then are like, what are my risk factors? And we're saying high blood pressure, cholesterol, and diabetes. So we're saying things like your cholesterol definitely needs to be under 200 for a total measure. We're saying things like your, your uh, triglyceride levels should, they should be under 150. A lipidologist will tell you under 100, but they should be that. But you guys, I mean, I agree with you when, when all of you are like, your body wants to live. I see people all the time, my triglycerides are 650. And I'm like, well, this textbook says you're supposed to be dead. So. <laughs> And then when we look at glucose, we're saying your body's ability to process sugar, but also not store fat at the same time. So we're looking at the root cause. And then if I get sick, it is really just a built up of long, long periods of time of quote unquote abuse or neglect to your body. Um, and, and by that time you've reached the point where you don't want to be sick. And then it's like, okay, I get sick. How do I get unsick? That's stupid hard. Okay. Don't want to be on medication. We learned all that stuff's terrible. But if you had to pick like one or two things for people to do, and I can even start with mine, but for people to do, 
to not get sick for a longer period of time or maintain health, what would they be? And I would say, I got to keep wiggling this thing. If you're watching the live stream, I didn't set the timer and I'll turn off, but whatever. Um, okay, so for me, it would be when you look at nutrition. So we, we, we've clearly established nutrition and fitness, but when we look at nutrition, for me, it's eat when you're hungry, eat till you're full. Um, if because I don't like, I feel like the more that we micromanage things, the harder it is for the client to stay with it. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It just means generally speaking, when you're talking to everybody, eat when you're hungry, eat till you're full. You'd be surprised how normalized your hunger is and when you eat until you're actually full and you feel satiety how you actually hold yourself over eat real foods so things that you can hunt and gather uh, that doesn't i know paleo talks about that a lot it doesn't have to be paleo i'm just saying like eat chicken if you want eat vegetables if you want just don't eat chicken nuggets don't eat um fruit flavored pop tarts like you know what i'm saying like real food you want a pizza make a pizza figure out how to get the things that you could find in nature and that will do if you really start paying attention to that it will fault to walking around the grocery store like brandy was saying it will fault to roasting your vegetables like allison was saying like it, you'll you'll naturally fall into that and as far as movement goes move well and move often every time somebody comes in the gym on their first day they're like what are we going to do today and i'm like we're, we're just going to move you don't need to worry about anything that's on that board you need to move your hips your shoulders and your midline you need to train above the minimum to preserve it for a longer period of time. I try to get people to have 180 to 240 minutes of exercise per week. That's somewhere between 60 minutes three days a week and 20 minutes every day. However, I define that as above the minimum. So walking for 20 minutes ain't gonna cut it for me. I'm not saying that you're lazy. I'm saying that the human body, like Amanda's saying, is designed to walk. Getting out of your car and looking at six flights of stairs to go up to your office building, that's a thing you have to do to be alive. So I'm saying that you are in a conditioning session or you're in a workout or you're in a modality of like a intense yoga or a workout at strong side or a, a hard metabolic conditioning. Hard is for you, but move well and move often. By move well, I mean entire range of motion. I don't mean short little exercises that you do every now and then. I mean moving large loads over a long distance. Large can be for you, but the last time I checked, when you had to put away your laundry, you had to get it from the ground to above your head at some point, right? Large load, long distance, quickly. Eat when you're hungry, eat till you're full, and eat foods you can hunt and gather. You'll probably be pretty stinking fit. Mm -hmm. Next. Um, I think that approaching nutrition from a, um, like, from a simplistic standpoint of just waking up every day and making a small effort to be mindful about what you're going to do for the day because we're all living in lack of time and need for convenience and so that's why the default is quick and easy and on the go and not healthy and nutritious so I say all the time like a, a goal without a plan is just a wish so if you have a goal to be healthy this week you have to have a plan of what that looks like otherwise it's just lip service so find the foods that you love that are around the perimeter and load your refrigerator with those foods and just eat those foods and don't worry so much about the quantity or the ingredient necessarily but just start somewhere and decide to do something first instead of trying to figure out the perfect way to do it because like i said confused minds don't make good decisions and we're inundated with information all the time about nutrition um so i would just say start now like today and go shopping around the perimeter and flood your refrigerator with the things that you love and then work from there instead of trying to do all the right
right things on day one and then falling on your face. And it has to be a lifestyle. It's not something that you can only do Monday through Friday and then give it up on Saturday and Sunday so that every Monday you're starting over again. It's incorporating those good habits of nutrition into your life so that eventually it just becomes part of what you do. Um, and then you will see less and less of those poor decisions because your body feels better when you feed it good nutrition. It recognizes that it feels better when you feed it good nutrition. It takes a minute for it to happen. It's not magic, but if you give your body time, it will respond um, it, it, properly and then you will start to make those choices more naturally. And then the other thing is put anything down that's not water. <laughs> I, it's just, I, we all love coffee, I drink it too and I'm, that's fine. And, and, but most of the things that people put, their, put in their body from a liquid standpoint is just empty, unnecessary, toxic calories. And I'm not talking about giving up alcohol or you know ditching your favorite coffee. I'm just talking about through the day, hydrate your body. It is so incredibly necessary for all things health to drink water all day long and I see people all the time, co-workers and family members and friends that will get until four or five in the afternoon and have had no water hydration in their body. And it's necessary for basic life. It's necessary for proper organ function and you're gonna feel miserable without it. And then the onslaught, onslaught of disease starts to happen. So put anything down that's not water, occasionally have the fun stuff that you like and then just start simple and start somewhere and start now and keep it really simple for you so that you you can move forward with success all really good points um obviously i always shop the outside of the grocery store but um i can go into find your why why do you want to do this what is going to motivate you to continue to do this i want my children to see a healthy happy mom and live as long as i can um, and so they know how to take care of themselves that's my why what's yours what's going to keep you motivated to continue to do this and start small if it is starting walking, start walking, then build up to the harder workouts. Do what, what you can do. Move, eat well, find your why. That's deep. I like the why. <laughs> uh, so I definitely, of course, agree with all of those points. Uh, nutrition, movement, and then I would just add sleep. Sleep is huge for immunity. I mean, it's crazy. If you Google this and you see how much less of a percentage your immune system functions on not enough sleep it's crazy so i would add sleep and then i would also add community um laughing um taking time to relax stress hormones are not good for immune system it's not good for anything so just being around people like we we are meant to be around people we're meant to function as a society and i feel like a lot of people lose that so i would definitely add in just being around people that you love you should yeah. just take classes at Strongside. <laughs> yeah, see, you know, at Strongside, you get all of those. And then also uh, a vitamin C. Take your vitamin C. Like in the winter time, I always add additional vitamin C. It's cheap and it's the most well researched vitamin that you can take. I know there's a lot of misinformation on supplements. Um, a really good website for that is examine.com. They have no affiliation with any sort of company. They just look at raw research. That is the best place to look up supplements because there is a lot of confusion about it. But take some vitamin C and eat some fermented food. Um, we used to eat a lot of fermented food. We don't anymore at all. So some sauerkraut, some kimchi, kombucha. Um, these things are really important for populating your gut with good bacteria and a lot of your immune systems in your gut. 
Yeah, 70% of your immune system is in your gut. Bad gut health, you have a whole lot of bad other health. And even like, like when you talked about the brain earlier, like serotonin is your happy hormone in your brain, but it's made in your gut. So if it can't travel from your gut into your brain, and you start asking things, like, you know, you're taking one to two firm bowel movements per day, you know, like, people are like, well, I haven't had one in a week. Like, I'm just like, okay, well, probably from food. Those are, those are the small things that kind of like, we've been talking a lot about how you go through your life and you maybe you're not making the best decisions, you've kind of ignored your health and then all of a sudden you have these comorbidities, you have these chronic illnesses. Little things like not having frequent bowel movements, feeling sluggish, um, you know, those are like small things where your body's trying to tell you like, hey, something's not right here, so. Sarah Newton Wright says, y'all are all so wonderful. <laughs> I can hear her voice when I read that off, too. But, yeah, man, so thank you so much for coming on. I bet you guys are going to get pounded with questions. All three of these lovely ladies you'll see here three to four times a week, maybe even more, but they all take classes uh, here at StrongSide. And uh, I appreciate them taking them time out of their day to come on and just spread some wellness because we need some love, Amanda, and we need some community, <laughs> and we need some good yeah. food, and we just need to shop around the grocery stores. We need to just take care of our body and prevent, and let's all just be happy and healthy together. I don't think anything we talked about was that complicated. We didn't talk about, nobody had a calculator out, or like, dude, we're just like freaking work out, hug some people, maybe air high five right now, I don't know, and then just eat normal food. Yeah. Just convenience Absolutely. is the devil. That's what's going yes. on. Yes. Yeah. Convenience and habits. Habits are habits. very, very hard to change. Yep. yep. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, someone said to me not too long ago, like life, people say all the time, like life is short, life is short, right? Like YOLO. And what I see all the time is life can be really, really long if you're sick. And it can be really, really painful and have very little quality. Mm -hmm. So yes we are all it could be over tomorrow but it also could go on for another 40 years and if you're doing it in a sick body it's not fun to watch it really isn't so we see a lot of uh, bedtime people in the icu and they do they're just admitted to the hospital several times a year you know they've got all these pressure injuries they can't function and that's absolutely no way to live mm -hmm. so it's it's worth the investment to meal prep and exercise a hundred percent Cool. So yeah, use promo code, uh, let's see, Allison or Amanda or Brandy at checkout and you'll be good to go. Hey, thank you again, guys. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you for tuning in. Let's rock and roll and have a great Thursday.